you've survived another week. Thank you for listening, downloading, and subscribing to the Black Man with a Gun Show. This is episode 383, Ode to Superman and Batman, celebrating 75 years. Talking about CORE, James Farmer, Roy Ennis, and C.O. Chen in our history segment. I got a giveaway for you again, a laser light for your Glock 42. I think we're still looking for a superhero. All this and more coming up next. Blackmanwithagun.com Ken Blanchard's Pro-Gun Podcast Hey, welcome to Black Man With A Gun Show. I'm Ken Blanchard and thank you for being a part of my listening audience. I'm hoping you got some shooting in that you're having a good summer so far. It's been a pretty mild weather-wise for us. I can't remember when the weather has been so cooperative. If you're a shotgunner, I know you're having a good time. If you're shooting your AR right now, I know the range is not even crowded. Indoor. Don't even need to go there right now. Yeah. It's a good time. Ammo is not um, not as cheap as you want it to be. 22 is still hard to find in some places if you can afford it. But the living is easy. After John Wayne leads us in a Pledge of Allegiance, we're going to talk about superheroes and get on with episode number 383 of the Black Man with a Gun Show. I pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America and to the republic for which it stands. One nation, under God, indivisible, with liberty and justice for all. In 1938, two kids created Superman. A year later, DC Comics picked up Batman because Superman was doing so well. 75, 76 years ago, they became part of America's icon, America's culture. I was told once after a debriefing, after I had risked my life to save some people, that I think you have a Superman complex, and I took it as a badge of honor. We need heroes in our society or in any society for a simple reason, because they give us someone to model ourselves after. Most of the time, the people that you see in your surrounding, immediate surrounding area let you down. The average human being, however, pushed around or caged in, they may be as unwilling to brave the dangers inherent to resolving the problems that plague us all. Crime can overwhelm a city, but we don't care until it affects us personally. And even then, we only usually worry about it when it has an impact on our life. We are inherently selfish creatures and possessed with a vile need to protect our own before even at the cost of others. However, in the image of a superhero, we see somebody who is willing to sacrifice themselves in order to improve our lot. Whether this is a fictional superhero like Batman or Superman or a real-life hero like a soldier that throws himself on a grenade to save those around him, doesn't matter. What matters instead is that we're given a role model that we can exemplify what we should morally do, what we often can't do ourselves. We see somebody that takes the initiative and rights the wrongs, despite the dangers to themselves. A society without superheroes is a society without hope. 
somebody got elected on a premise that they were giving hope to a society. A lot of people fell for it because we need hope. We just feel fail to realize that we can't put our hope in a person. We need a superhero. When I was a kid, this gave me goosebumps. Speeding bullets. More powerful than a locomotive. Able to leap tall buildings at a single bound. Look, up in the sky, it's a bird. It's a plane. It's Superman. Yes, it's Superman. A strange visitor from another planet who came to Earth with powers and abilities far beyond those of mortal men. Superman, who can change the course of mighty rivers, bend steel in his bare hands. Clark Kent, mild-mannered reporter for a great metropolitan newspaper, fights a never-ending battle for truth, justice, and the American way. Now, if you're a hardcore Superman fan, you know that Superman never lied. And he fought for truth, justice, and the American way. That meant something 20 years ago. That meant something yesterday for me. I think we're still looking for a hero. What do you think? A year later after Superman was created by the kids at Action Comics and Batman took off. Batman was a little darker than Superman. He was a vigilante. He wasn't super strong, but he was super smart. He had tons of money, so he could create things that uh, regular folks couldn't have. The Batman that came out in the 60s, the Adam West character, was kind of mod for the time. I mean, it it was hip for the time. Not like the dark character that we have now, but the dark character that's now is more true to the comic. The one who made it to the screen in the 60s when we were kids wearing the Batman outfits and the pajamas because I had all those. was lighter on purpose. Remember this? To the Batmobile. Let's go. Atomic batteries to power. Turbines to speed. Roger. Ready to move out. man it was hot rod cars turbines and nitro and 
surf guitar. Yeah, that was Batman on television. And then after you learn how to play the guitar, how many guitarists out there tried to play that theme song at least once? Yeah. What does that have to do with the gun industry, the gun world, the gun community? Well, if you're about around my age, your thoughts of right and wrong came from heroes. That you would actually take care of people who were less fortunate than you, that you would actually join the military, that you would serve your country, that you would do something greater than yourself. That's our generation. We believed in heroes. We tried to be heroes. Sometimes we failed. A lot of times we failed, but we every once in a while, we succeeded. We did some great stuff. You did some great stuff. Some folks forgot it, but I don't. I remember. And believe it or not, that's why many of us carry firearms for self-defense, because given a choice, we want to make sure that we can give our loved ones and our family and those around us, the innocents, the good people, a chance. Thank you for that. Being an armed citizen means having a gun with you all the time. Carrying a firearm every day requires a holster that is both concealable and comfortable. Whether you choose our Super Tuck Deluxe or Mini Tuck, you'll have the confidence that comes from being discreetly and comfortably armed, prepared to face unforeseen dangers. Crossbreed holsters are handmade in the USA, come with a lifetime warranty and a two-week try-it-free guarantee. Order your holster today at crossbreedholsters.com. All right, recently I've been talking about history. And according to Charles E. Cobb's uh, new history book about armed self-defense and the civil rights movement called This Nonviolent Stuff Will Get You Killed, there's just so many characters in that that people just kind of miss over. And I want to bring up some, some bad boys of the thing. And one was a guy by the name of C.O. Chin, a black guy from Canton, Mississippi, who in 1960s owned a farm, a rhythm and blues nightclub, a bootlegging operation, and a hand had, had a large collection of rifles, pistols, and shotguns, which he used to threaten the local Klansmen and the police when he attempted to encroach on his business or intimidate civil rights activists working to uh, desegregate Canton, Mississippi, back in the day. Yeah, you don't hear about that too much. In a little bit, I'm going to talk about CORE, the Congress of Racial Equality, and the Student Nonviolent Coordinating Committee, SNCC. And uh, what's funny is that all the stuff is going on at the same time. Like when I talked about Superman and Batman, World War II was in effect. It hadn't started for us yet, but it was building up in 1938 and 39. Hitler and Mussolini, Stalin, um, Churchill, all that stuff was going on. Folks were getting ready to uh, just do wreck havoc on Europe and the Jewish people were being rounded up and their rights were being infringed upon. And it was just it was set up for the stage. Uh, nothing happens in a vacuum. Everything's happening at the same time. So at the same time, when all this crazy stuff is happening in the 60s, the civil rights is going on. There are black nightclubs. There's bootlegging going on, pretty much like my family um, doing the same thing. Uh, Chin had a club called Club Desire that B.B. Uh, King, James Brown, Hank Ballard, the Midnighters, the Platters, and a whole bunch of folks uh, frequented down in Mississippi. They called it the Chitlin Circuit back then. Amazing stuff. All going concurrently. If you've listened to this show for a while, you've known about the Deacons of Defense. We've talked about uh, several 
civil rights organizations, and I want to just keep on with that with our American history section. Today, I want to talk about the Congress of Racial Equality, also known as CORE. It's a U.S. civil rights organization that uh, was one of the big four civil rights organizations, along with the uh, Southern Christian Leadership Conference, or SCLC. That was the group that was closely associated with Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., because he was the first president, and the Student Nonviolent Coordinating Committee, SNCC, and of course the NAACP, which I talked about last week. Though still existent, CORE is pretty much forgotten. Um, its main principal was a guy by the name of James L. Farmer. And I'll talk about him for a hot second. James Leonard Farmer Jr. was born January 12, 1920, in Marshall, Texas. His mother was a teacher and his father a minister who was also the first African-American citizen to earn a doctorate in the state of Texas. And surrounded by literature and learning, the young farmer was an excellent student, skipping grades and becoming a freshman at Wiley College in 1934 when he was 14 years old. While he continued to excel as part of the debate team and his eloquence and storytelling abilities would later be heard nationally as an adult. There was a movie out called The Great Debaters, where Farmer was played by Denzel Whitaker, uh, being a college orator. Pretty cool. Well, James Farmer was a civil rights leader, and he headed the Congress of Racial Equality and organized the historic Freedom Rides of 1961. He was a big-time student of Mahatma Gandhi, and he studied much of Gandhi's philosophies, and he would later apply those ideas to nonviolent civil resistance to change the segregation of the U.S. back in the 50s and 60s. Even though he was a graduate of Howard University School of Divinity, he opted not to forge a career in religion. He was conscientious, objector during World War II, and worked with the Fellowship of Reconciliation by the early 1940s. Living in Chicago, Illinois, he was also a TV screenwriter and a magazine scribe. Um, his first marriage was to uh, Winnie Christie in 1945 to 46. And in 49, he married Lula Peterson, and he had two kids, Core, Committed to racial harmony, Farmer, his friend George Hauser, and a multiracial group of colleagues decided they would desegregate a Chicago eatery via a 1942 sit-in. They thus formed the Committee of Racial Equality, with the name later becoming the Congress of Racial Equality. With Farmer elected as national chairman, Core developed a mostly white, north-based membership of various chapters, yet would eventually find itself becoming deeply involved in the South. Farmer had some periods away from the organization, but with the civil rights movement making headlines with historical rulings and actions, he was elected to become the national director of Corps in February 1961. Farmer thus became one of the most prominent African-American leaders of the era, joining the ranks of the figures of Dr. Uh, Reverend Martin Luther King Jr. and Royal Wilkins. Now, you might have heard of CORE before because the most prominent, probably, CORE person around right now is uh, Roy Enos, uh, board of directors member for a long time of the National Rifle Association. He has been a national chairman of the Congress of Racial Equality since uh, being elected to that position in 1968. So right when Farmer kind of passed that thing off and the whole role of CORE kind of died, uh, Brother Ennis has been in charge of it ever since. And there's been some clips. Um, Brother Ennis has been pro-gun for a long time. He's actually fought on television against Al Sharpton and some crazy stuff. 
Uh, he actually, on a side, uh, Brother Ennis lost two of his sons to violence. Uh, his first son, Roy Ennis Jr., uh, at the age of 13, was killed in 68, and his oldest son, Alexander, was shot and slain in 82. So it's, um, I don't know where I was going with that one, but just some little known facts there. And Brother Ennis right now is probably about 80 years old. Mm-hmm. Still on the board of directors. Well, the deal that I'm going to bring to light today is that core chairman, James Farmer, had his own difficulties incorporating and explaining the work of the deacons of defense and justice who were openly protecting core workers in the South. Now, remember I said he was a follower of Gandhi. Now, his, his efforts were ranged well beyond the ideology of the predominantly white pacifist who founded CORE in 1942. Offering his own version of the boundary central to the black tradition of arms, Farmer distinguished between armed self-defense outside the movement and CORE's nonviolent demonstrations. You must understand, said Farmer, quote, when a man's home is attacked, that's not the movement, that's his home. And I believe King said the exact same thing. So what I'm saying is this guy, this hero from the past, uh, James L. Farmer, trying to be like Gandhi, trying to bring nonviolence to a racially charged summer of, oh man, it was just bad back in 63. Um, he was fighting against pro-gun black people who didn't want to be pacifists. They didn't care who Gandhi was. And he had a big challenge that came in the summer of 1963 in a place called uh, Plaque Mine, Louisiana. And he was there to support local activists who were fighting against segregated public facilities when the third of a series of protest marches spun into chaos and then a threat to lynch farmer. Armed black men snatched him from the tumult, guarded him from the mobbers, and smoked him out of town in the back of a hearst. James Farmer's experience is one of confirmation that even before its radical turn, CORE operated against the backstop of local folk with guns. A legendary among them was this guy by the name of C.O. Chin from Canton, Mississippi. He was a cafe owner, or sometimes affectionately and sometimes guardedly called badass C.O. Chin. And I, somebody just actually mentioned, uh, hey, Ken, you want to check out this clip about this guy named Chin. So I thought I'd bring that up. Chin was personally committed to providing security for, for core uh, workers who came to press the movement in Canton, Mississippi. And he carried a, a revolver openly. And when folks gathered for strategic Sessions of rally, Chin sat outside the venues in his truck, scanning the terrain, gun in hand. When Canton uh, police stalked an organizing meeting and menaced one of the female activists, CO Chin's wife walked out of the squad car and scolded them. You cops don't have anything better to do than sit in front of this office all the time. If you don't, I wish you would find something. I'm tired of looking at you. People who witnessed it and knew the culture explained how remarkable this was. The cops looked at Mrs. Chin and didn't say a word. Had any other Negro woman in Canton said that, they would have beaten her down to the ground. But they knew that she was C.O. Chin's wife, and no one, black or white, insulted C.O. Chin's people and got away with it. Committed pacifists within CORE considered members who flirted with violence traitors to the cause. But nonviolence in the face of imminent threats was easier in theory than in practice. Pacifist CORE staffer Melden Atkinson found that it was a decided minority writing to his parents. Nearly everyone in the community is armed to the teeth, he concluded. 
that most folks were committed to nonviolence only as a tactic. In West Feliciana Parish, Corps worker Mike Lesser was less conflicted. Corps was holding voter registration clinics at the Masonic Hall in the evenings, Lesser wrote to his family back north. We are preaching nonviolence, but can only preach nonviolence and practice it. We cannot tell someone not to defend his property and the lives of his family. And let me tell you, these 15 to 20 shotguns guarding our meetings are very reassuring. In response to the reports that blacks were arming against private threats, the national leadership of Corps pressed its field staff, urged the people not to carry guns, and these instructions prompted tensions and defiance. In a staff meeting at the end of 1963, two activists angrily responded, To hell with Corps! We're with the people! And some Corps field staff began carrying guns. Corps' national office worried that that increased militancy would damage alliances with his white progressives. Much of Corps' financial support came from northern white liberals. For many of them, even legitimate acts of self-defense provoked the specter of, quote, black violence, from which they recoiled. The growing radicalization of Corps and the evaporation of white support confirms long-standing fears that talk of political violence would cost white allies. Corps continued to espouse nonviolence and tried to distance itself from the publicity the deacons of defense were attracting, but hazards in the field eroded the commitment to nonviolence. The work of the deacons underscored the importance of self-defense and drew core field members and workers to open advocacy of resistance against violent attacks. For the white middle-class pacifists who were the backbone of core, the idea of armed violence was an anathema. Core leadership attempted to keep the deacons in a quote, in the background. But for the growing black membership of Corps, the practical necessity of armed self-defense was obvious. And in 1965, delegates openly contested the viability of nonviolence during Corps' annual convention. By 1966, Floyd McKissick had succeeded James Farmer as the national director of Corps. And though McKissick maintained a commitment to tactical nonviolence, his ascension marked a shift in policy and his rhetoric was more aggressive. McKissick insisted that, quote, the right of self-defense is constitutional right, and you can't expect black people to surrender this right while whites maintain it. For Corps' pacifist white members, this broke the bargain. By the end of 1966, Corps had lost most of its white support and become an almost entirely black organization. The increasingly darker complexion of Corps chapters in the North corresponded to a more sympathy for the deacons. After the deacons protected the march against fear, the Harlem Corps branch endorsed the model, declaring, quote, In any future action wherein we want to behave in a nonviolent manner, we will seek the protection of our brethren to guarantee this right. Now, at the 1966 Corps convention, the northern branches were in agreement, resolving that Corps accepts the concept of self-defense by the deacons and believes that the use of guns by Corps workers on a southern project is a personal decision with the approval of that project's regional directors. So you had all that going on because folks are trying to be nonviolent. But in reality, you had to have it backed up by armed people. And this went on throughout the 60s until uh, the FBI got involved and there was J. Edgar Hoover and all that smear campaign to, to make it seem like if you were an armed person that you were evil, incarnate, that you were 
going against the grain, going against Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., against James L. Farmer, against Mahatma Gandhi. And that legacy is what still reigns today. Farmer worked for launching the Freedom Rides with the intention of challenging segregation or interstate bus travel, which had been technically been declared illegal in 46, and which CORE had taken action upon previously. The Freedom Riders consisted of both men and women, white and black, who traveled the bus routes through southern states. The first ride was launched in May of 1961 with a bus firebombed upon reaching Alabama after traveling through several states. Other riders were mobilized, yet their brutality was horrifying, with one rider having been beaten so badly that he had been left paralyzed for life, and protesters jailed en masse in Jackson, Mississippi. Audiences around the world were able to see via television violent racism at work. And in September of 1961, the Interstate Commerce Commission, at the behest of Attorney General Robert Kennedy, declared segregation impermissible in southern public travel facilities and modes of transport. CORE, also at the helm of hiring-based protest in the North, continued his prominent work in the South, with Farmer being targeted for his leadership and jailed and three CORE-affiliated workers murdered in Mississippi in 1964. Farmer eventually resigned from leading CORE in the mid-60s. His book, Freedom, when, was published in 66, and after a stint teaching at Lincoln University, he ran unsuccessfully for Congress as a Republican against Democrat Shirley Chisholm in 68. He later worked in the administration of President Richard Nixon, though he left in frustration. He received uh, several honors over his lifetime, and he got the Medal of Freedom. And he died in Fredericksburg of diabetes. He had lost his legs and he was blind uh, in July 9th, 1999. I believe he was 79. When you look back at history and you wonder how we even made it this far, it's also easy to look forward and see the people who don't recognize their history. Don't know the struggles that folks have gone through to get us to where we are today. So what did I just talk about? In between my mumbling, I just spoke about James L. Farmer, uh, Roy Ennis, CORE, the Congress of Racial Equality, and how the Deacons of Defense and Justice, a pro-gun group of Americans of African descent, struggled to protect those who were trying to reach an end using nonviolence here in America. Today, we still struggle. Uh, with the right to keep and bear arms, we struggle with the whole issue of nonviolence. We struggle, even though it's there, there are no leaders, we still struggle. Mostly because we don't know where we've come from. And this is just one part of our history. Black or white, it's American history. Thanks for listening. I got a raffle for you that will help some kids. It's called One Step Forward for Kids.org forward slash rifle. One Step Forward for Kids.org. Now, One Step Forward for Kids is a nonprofit organization that raises money to buy any supplies needed to help families with abused or disabled children. They've raised money to remodel homes, to make them handicap accessible. They've raised money to buy a handicap accessible van. One Step Forward for Kids is working to help families that have abused or disabled children. And it's a family-run charity started from a tragic child abuse case that happened in their own family. One Step Forward for Kids is now holding a gun raffle to raise money to help families in need. 
together with the Compound Gun Repair Shop, they have come up with great prizes you can win while helping them raise money for children in need. For $20 a ticket, you get a chance to win one of six prizes, ranging from shotguns to 22 rifles. Check it out. One step forward for kids.org forward slash raffle. Purchase your ticket today. One step forward for kids.org. Hi, this is Ken Blanchard, host of MotorcycleRadio.us. If you ride motorcycles, I would like to invite you to join our community online and listen to our podcast where I interview interesting people, learn about gear, rides, and share experiences. Listen to the leader. MotorcycleRadio.us. Now available on iTunes, Stitcher Radio, and on the website, MotorcycleRadio.us. All right, last week I got a chance to give away some cool stuff from my grab bag. I got a bag in my office here with a whole bunch of stuff that uh, I've kind of gathered over the years from uh, from vendors, from companies that were nice to me. So I just thought today, you know what? Let me stop shaming on the stuff. Stop holding this stuff up. Let me just share it with my friends. So if you listen to the Black Man with the Gun show, if you or visit the website, blackmanwiththegun.com, and I got a new sign-up sheet, a newsletter. I think I'm going to start a um, a weekly newsletter just sharing what I'm doing. And in exchange for your email address and your name, I had tried this before. I had an email list, um, about 500 people on it. I, I never wrote any notes. I never really shared anything. Um, but I got a new plan. going to take those, say, 500 people and, and give you guys stuff. Whenever I get it, ship it right back out to you. How about that? So here's the start of it. Um, I got a Glock 42 laser from Laser Light. It fits right underneath the, um, in the trigger well on the outside of it. It's pretty, it's pretty snazzy. The batteries are included. It fits a Glock 42 pistol. Um, it's an ergonomic activation. It has two molds, both pulse and constantly on. has an auto off feature. And is really, really easy to um, put on. There's a video for it actually on the show notes for this episode. How do you get it? Well, I'm going to take between the next, before the next show, before the next podcast, I'm going to take a li- somebody from that list and pick and send it to you. So if only two of you guys sign up for it, then hey, that's it. Your odds are really good. Facebook, I ain't paying attention to Facebook. Facebook is that's Zuckerberg's thing. He making money off of that thing. That's that's his baby. If you want if you want this bad boy, it's, I think it's worth at least a hundred bucks. Free. I'm not even gonna charge you for the postage. I will ship it to you. But you gotta be a part of my list. Deal? There's a sign up list on Black Man with a Gun. Look at the top banner, the links up there, it'll say sign up. Somebody from that. Is going to be in my giveaway list from now on. Uh, how about them apples? Laserlight.com. You can check it out. Sign up for the list. And just want to let you know, this is a listener-supported show. Thank you to Kenneth. <coughs> Kenneth H. was our newest member. Joined as a supporter of the podcast and the blog. And Roy, Greg, and Mo. <coughs> Thank you guys, too, for keeping this going. 
And if it wasn't for you guys, I wouldn't be here. You can help too. Look for the link that says patreon.com forward slash black man with a gun. I hope you enjoyed our piece about history and the characters that make up Americans past. I'm hoping that the musical theme songs of our old superheroes, Superman and Batman, brought back some good memories for you. When my son was born, I wanted to be a superhero for him. I wanted to do better than my father and my stepfather did for me. I wanted him to be that guy that he looked up to all of his life. I never wanted to let him down. I know each of us is struggling with different things. But like Martin Luther King Jr. said, we must accept finite disappointment, but never lose infinite hope. Here's hoping that things get better. Until next week, this is your friend and your brother from another mother, Ken Blanchard. with the speed of light, a cloud of dust, and a hearty Hayo Silver. The Lone Ranger. Hayo Silver! Away! With his faithful Indian companion, Tonto, the daring and resourceful mask rider of the plains, led the fight for law and order in the early West. Return with us now to those thrilling days of yesteryear. The Lone Ranger rides again. Keep in touch with Ken and his head over to blackmanwithagun.com.